Open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we'll begin this chapter this morning as we've been going through the gospel according to Mark. I'm going to read the first six verses of Mark chapter 3. Originally, I thought I'd get down to verse 12. (laughs) It was my full intention as I began last week to study for this morning to deal with the first 12 verses. My heart is true in that matter. But the intents of men are oftentimes thwarted by the purposes of God. And so we'll try to get through the first six verses this morning. Besides, we're not in a hurry. The Lord's coming back when He comes back. And when He does, He'll teach us the rest of the Scriptures. So I want us to get as much as we can while we are going through it. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked around about them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. There are some amazing statements in these first six verses. The issue as to what is lawful activity on the Sabbath has already arisen in the previous chapter. It will continue to rise up throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. This issue, among others, formed the basis for the difference between true Christianity and false religion. Between the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings of men. And between religious legalism and biblical liberty. Mark chapter 3 verse 1 says, And he entered again into the synagogue. And there was a man there with, which had a withered hand. He entered again into the synagogue. Uh, this is the second or third Sabbath since Jesus Christ had entered into his ministry in Capernaum. The miracle of healing the man with a withered hand took place in the Jewish synagogue. Not every healing of the Lord Jesus Christ took place within the synagogue, but many of them did. Throughout the Gospels, we find our Savior in the synagogue on the Jewish Sabbath. But after His death, His burial, His resurrection, we find Him meeting with His disciples in various places on the first day of the week. He was in the synagogue on that Sabbath for several reasons. First... To show respect and obedience 
to the moral law of God in observing the fourth commandment. He did always those things which pleased the Lord. He kept the law in its perfection for those for whom he would die. This man, the Lord Jesus Christ, this God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, can never be charged with violating the law of God. He kept it perfectly. He is there in respect and obedience to the moral law of God in observing the fourth commandment. Secondly, to show respect for the designated place of worship on the Lord's day or on His day, the Sabbath day. He went to the synagogue. That was the designated place of worship. There was no such thinking in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ or in the mind of devout Jews on those days that I can worship God any time or any place I want to. There were designated places of worship and Jesus Christ went to that place. Thirdly, he was there to secure the chosen objects of his divine mission. He was there to secure sinners, the elect. The elect are found everywhere in the world. We are told that at the end of every one of, every one of the Gospels. But in the days of Jesus Christ, he found a lot of them in the Jewish synagogues. Those who were in the synagogues, who thought they were already the children of God, Jesus Christ preaching the gospel to them, they become converted and follow him. There are a lot of people within false religion that need to hear the gospel and need to be saved and need to come out of those false religions. For me, God saved me and took me out of Roman Catholicism. I was in a false religion. God saved me and took me out of that. Fourth, he was there as a teacher of the Word of God. Never forget that Jesus Christ is God's anointed prophet. He was there to declare the gospel message of his kingdom, to testify that he is God's anointed prophet, priest, and king. These three offices that he held, he was fulfilling during his days upon the, upon the earth. Prophet there to declare what the Word of God has to say. Every time you see Jesus Christ in a synagogue, he is there to instruct them concerning the Word of God. The Bible says he entered again into the synagogue. And as he entered again, there was a man there which had a withered hand. The word withered here implies that it's shriveled up and is of no use. Not just lame, that is, all hand, all, he has a hand and all the fingers are available to see, but withered up means shriveled up. means it doesn't exist as a normal hand. This man is an amazing picture of the affliction which destroys a man's power to do anything good or anything well in this world. Sin has had an effect upon men where it shrivels them up and keeps them from doing that which is good and well. The hand is representative of human ability. What woman can cook without? What mother can take care of her children without a hand? What carpenter can build? What mechanic can work? What 
person who speaks from the heart can speak without his hands. <laughs> human ability, human skill, human power, and human usefulness all wound up, wound up in a word, the hand. He had lost or never had the ability to use it. This is a historical account. It is a true account. What we read here actually took place in time and space. There was a man that had a withered hand. We don't know his name. He leaves the pages of history healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we never know his name. But I think we're going to see him in heaven. This man is a, though an historical account... Though a real man on a real day in a real synagogue of the Jews, yet there's a spiritual significance here that we don't want to miss. This man is a picture of a sinner. This man with a withered hand is a representation, a divine picture of every sinner's spiritual condition. When sin entered... That day in the garden when Adam rebelled and disobeyed God and sin entered. When sin entered, brethren, it entered with the power to paralyze and wither the soul of men. It entered with the power to destroy. To blind eyes and to deafen ears and to harden hearts and to wither the very soul of man. Sinners are withered up as far as their souls are concerned. Their souls cannot function as they were originally created to do. They cannot know God in the way they were originally created to know Him. They cannot respect and obey God. They cannot worship God. They are withered and useless until God saves a sinner. The soul is withered up. And so we're looking at a real man with a physical infirmity created as a result of sin entering. All disease and affliction is a result of sin entering into the world. But we're also looking at a spirit, the spiritual significance of this man, the spiritual implications of his malady. But this man is also a picture of the uselessness of false religion. There are many who profess to be God's children, but who are so full of religious prejudices, who find fault with those who are different from them, who find a withered hand to be a sign of God's judgment, blinded eyes to be a sign of God's judgment. Even among the disciples of Christ in John 9, did this man sin or did his parents that he was born blind? Even among his own disciples we have this kind of thinking. Someone comes in he's crippled or he's withered or whatever. Must be the hand of God against him. find a withered hand to be the sign of God's judgment and who see no place of mercy in the case of a man with a withered hand. This will develop out as we get through our verses. Those in false religions look upon the good work that has been done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the way he did it with disdain and with hardness of heart. He looked among them 
and was angered and grieved at the hardness of their heart, the Bible says. They had been watching him now since he entered his ministry in Capernaum in chapter 1. And they're watching him to find fault, to find a reason not to believe the words coming out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who look at a man with a withered hand, who profess themselves to be children of God, are like their religion, withered and useless to help a man with a withered hand. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious leaders of the Jews' religion were present in the synagogue with this man when Jesus Christ was there. How many Sabbaths? Had this man been in their midst? How often had they looked down upon him because he had a withered hand? How did their religious prejudices hamper them from helping this man who had such a great need? How did their view of God hamper them from helping this poor sinner? How did their religious views of the Sabbath hinder them? from helping him. This Sabbath is going to be different. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders had been in the synagogue. The man with a withered man had been in the synagogue. But this Sabbath, Jesus Christ comes. And he comes into the synagogue. And what we see, this man is the uselessness of false religion. So we read verse 1 and 2 again. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might have to accuse him. They watched him that, in order that, they might have something to accuse him. Psalm 37, verse 32. Psalm 37, verse 32 says, The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. Brethren, we are being watched. This church is being watched. And they're looking for a reason not to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They're watching the professors of religion in our community who live like the world, who think like the world, who talk like the world, who do like the world, and they're saying, there you have it. Christianity is useless. And someone comes around that has a true testimony of Christianity, and then they're looking and saying, what has he done? What has she done that we have a reason to accuse him and not follow the Lord Jesus Christ? In Luke chapter 6, verse 7, dealing with this same account, you should always read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John together if they're dealing with the same account. You get words sometimes that help further explain what's going on. In Luke chapter 6, verse 7, Luke says, And the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. They might accuse him, but they might find a way to accuse him. The word watched here in this text comes from a Greek word which means to watch with careful scrutiny. In the text, 
in, that is before us, it means to watch with careful scrutiny in order to find some fault or to watch with careful and scrutiny with an evil intent. I get go past 99% of all the good that I see. Aha! Gotcha! Isn't that what the psalmist says about the wicked coming against the righteous? They say, aha! It was the Sabbath day. And they were in the synagogue with the Son of God. And they were not there to learn from the Son of God. They were not there to hear what the Scripture says. They were not there sitting as a student before a teacher. It was the Sabbath day, and they were in the synagogue. It was the Sabbath day, and they were in the synagogue. Think about that. Instead, they were there ready to catch him in any act or in the use of any word that he would dare to violate their rules as they had done in the grain fields the previous Sabbath. They were there, one word out of place, one act contrary to their thinking to find accusation. These were the Jews in the days of Jesus Christ. These were the Jews in the days of the apostles. And for the most part, these are the Jews in the days in which we live. They hate the Lord Jesus Christ. They cannot stand the fact that we believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah sent from God. They can't handle that. They still look for the Messiah to come. The more conservative ones still believe God may send yet a Messiah to them. The more liberal ones believe that the nation of Israel in Israel is the Messiah. They look to the nation as the Messiah. Thousands of years have passed since they've had a bloody Passover with a lamb bone in exchange for the blood on the lintels of the house. Still, they remain adamant that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. Perhaps born from an illegitimate relationship between Mary and some Roman soldier, but not the Son of God. A blasphemer, but not the Son of God. A violator of the Sabbath, but not the Son of God. These are the people who gathered on the Sabbath day in the synagogue that day. They were determined to find a way to accuse him. Their perversion of the Sabbath offered them the best opportunity to find fault with the Holy Son of God. And so they are ready not to learn at the feet of the Master, not to humble themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior, but as a religiously superior being thinking themselves to be better than God Himself. Oh, may God deliver us from false religion. 
and bring us into a relationship with Him through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we may know the truth, and the truth can set us free. Verse 3 and verse 4, And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 12, because this account takes place in Luke 6 and in Matthew 12 in the other Gospels. Matthew chapter 12, I want to read one verse. You might want to save your place there, because we will be coming back there. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 10, the Bible says, And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him? Now, I don't know if you caught that or not, but in Mark's gospel, it is said that Jesus asked them, Is it lawful to do good? And in Matthew's gospel, it is said that the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, asked the Lord Jesus Christ, is it lawful? You see that? What an opportunity to rush in and announce that there's a mistake in the Word of God and we ought not to believe it. Aha, gotcha. How often have I heard people that don't believe the Bible is the Word of God any longer say, there's full of mistakes. Look at this. Here it says this, and here it says that. And I think to myself, poor soul, who cannot see what is right in front of them. We are to compare Scripture with Scripture, and the Scripture is the best interpretation of Scripture. According to these two accounts, what took place in the synagogue that day is this. The religious leaders asked Jesus the question. His response was to ask the man with a withered hand to stand up. Now it's public. Now everybody in the synagogue is watching. And now Jesus asked the question in a public forum so that all might learn the truth concerning this matter. Jesus will answer the question, and he'll use two statements to do so. But before he answers, he instructs the man to stand forth. Let's come back to Mark's gospel, and on your way back to Mark, from Matthew to Mark, keep going until you get to Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 8, let me read this verse for you. He answers the people, but first he gives instructions. Luke, Mark says, He saith unto the man which had a withered hand, Stand forth, and he saith unto them, Is it lawful? Something took place prior to that. But Luke 6 verse 8 says, But he knew their thoughts. They ask him a question, and he knows the intent of their question. He knows their thoughts. And he said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. Rise up and stand in the middle of the room. And he rose and stood forth. 
Stand forth, Mark says. Stand forth in the midst, Luke says. Step into the middle of the room where everyone here can see you. The religious leaders had come to spy on the Lord Jesus Christ in order that they might find fault. Quietly they skulked in. Did I just use that word? Skulked in? Quietly they snuck in, sat down in a corner, whispering to each other, I'm going to catch him today. And he asked him a question. Hey, hey, is it lawful? And Jesus says, stand up. Now the whole synagogue is aware. Jesus never does anything in a corner. Always open and plain for all to see. Jesus sets this man in the middle of the synagogue so that all may see him and his withered hand. So that all may know he is not hiding his message or his good works in a corner. But also so that all may know the intent of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Stand up. Stand in the middle of this synagogue. Mark chapter 3, verse 4, he said unto them, the next statement out of his word, and I can just, we need to use some sanctified imagination sometimes when we read this. Stand up and stand in the middle, and I can just see Jesus saying, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? He's got this man standing in the middle and all the eyes of the whole of the gathered assembly in the synagogue that way, that day are looking at a man with a withered hand and he turns to the religious Jews and he says, is it lawful to do good? Jesus Christ came into the world to set men free from their sin. In healing this man with a withered hand, the Lord was showing one more time His willingness to heal the sick and the infirm, the bruised and broken, to heal those who have been devastated by the effects of sin. But He also came into the world to help men to do all they can in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A man with a withered hand can serve God. But he can serve God better if his hand wasn't withered. And a man with a withered soul cannot serve God, but in the work of salvation upon a withered soul and saving us from our sin, God makes us better people. God does something to make us better than we were before. In saving us, He makes us better servants of the living God. He does something to change us so that we are beneficial in the kingdom of God. That's what He does in saving sinners from their sins. He doesn't save us and leave us all withered up and useless. He saves us and sets us forth in the middle and shows everybody how good of a work that He can do in a man's life to make him useful again. Salvation is a work of God upon our withered souls. And God doesn't leave us the same as He found us. Wherever it was, He found us on the day that He found us.
He looks around. His eyes fastened, I believe, upon the Pharisees and the Sadducees that sat in the synagogue that day. And he says unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And the Scripture says, They held their peace. And the beginning of verse 5, And when he had looked around about on them, He's not looking at the whole assembly now. He's looking at them with anger, being greed for the hardness of their heart. Again, brethren, before he answers their question, the Word of God gives us light, insight into their souls, into their religion. First, the Scripture says they held their peace. What? Do not the doctors of religion have an answer? Do not the leaders of this religion have a way to answer this carpenter from Galilee? Cannot they say something to prove that what they are saying is right and what he is saying is wrong? Didn't they not know the teaching of the Word of God on this particular issue? Oh, brethren, they had their own ideas, but they did not want to make those ideas public. In addition, their hearts were hard and they were not there to find fault with their religion. They were there to find fault with Jesus Christ. Second, when he looked around about on them with anger, being greed for the hardness of their hearts, as Jesus Christ looked over the faces of those who stood silent, two emotions flooded his righteous soul. Anger and grief were combined together in the same heart. Anger, righteous anger, anger without sin, anger at what they had done with his religion. What they had done to a multitude of sinners who were in as much need as this man with a withered hand. Remember later, before he finishes his ministry, he will say, You have hindered people from coming into the kingdom. What they had done to hinder men and women and children like this man. Anger with the hardness of their heart toward him and toward everything that was good and righteous and merciful. And grieved, sadness and sorrow flooded his soul. Jesus was called a man of sorrows and a man acquainted with grief. This is God standing in the synagogue that day, grieved with His creation, grieved with those who were supposed to be His people, grieved with those who studied His Word and and misinterpreted it to buttress their own ideas of their own religion, and grieved with those who could help but did not help those that were in such need. Anger and grief mixed together in the heart of the Son of God. 
is grieved by their inhumanity and the cruelty toward the miserable condition of the man with a withered hand, at their having a malicious and wicked design against him, at their stupidity and ignorance of the law of God, at their stupidity and ignorance of the nature of the Sabbath day, and at their ignorance to their duty to God and to their neighbor. Put yourself there on that Sabbath day and see the Son of God angered and grieved. Third, finally, before we look at the Lord Jesus Christ answering the question, let us set forth a truth found throughout all of Scripture. And that truth is this. It is always right to do good. It is always right to do all you can to preserve life or to improve the life of others if you have it in your power to do so. Here let me quote John Gill and Albert Barnes. He quote John Gill. He puts the question to them and makes them judges which must appear most right and just in the sight of God and men. For him which... Which one is right? For him to heal this poor man of his withered hand, though it be on the Sabbath day, or for them to cherish an evil intention toward him? He leaves it with them to consider, which was most agreeable to the law of God, to the nature of the Sabbath, and to the good of mankind. Which is better? That I heal this man? Or that you hold some evil intent toward me? Which meets the standards of the law, the standards of the Sabbath? Which meets the standards of common goodness? Albert Barnes, quote, It seems to have been a maxim with the Jews that not to do good when we have an opportunity is to do evil. Not to save life is to kill or to be guilty of murder. On this principle, our Savior puts this question to the Jews. Whether it is better for him, having the power to heal this man, to do it, or to suffer him to remain in his suffering condition. The same remark may apply to all opportunities to do good. And then he quotes Cotton Mather. Quote, the ability to to do good imposes an obligation to do it. This is at the foundation of Christianity. It is at the foundation of the law of God. It is the very nature of God Himself. The ability to do good imposes an obligation to do it. Cotton Mather. He that, continuing on with Albert Barnes, he that has the means of feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, instructing the ignorant, and sending the gospel to the destitute, and that does it not, is guilty. For he is practically doing evil. He is suffering evils to exist which might be removed. End quote. Do you remember at the final judgment when the Lord Jesus Christ gathers the 
peoples of the nations of the world to gather, and on his right hand he puts his sheep, and on the left hand he puts his goats. Remember that account in Matthew chapter 25? In Matthew chapter 25, after going through a lengthy discourse of feeding and clothing and visiting, speaking to the goats, they answer him in verse 44. The goats, the lost, answer the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 44, Matthew 25, 44. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not. And as much as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. You had the opportunity and you didn't do it. There was food in your pantry and he was hungry and you didn't do it. There were clothes in your closet and he was naked and you didn't do it. He was sick and you had the opportunity and the ability to do something and you didn't do it. This is at the root of what has taken place that day in the synagogue. Now let us look at the answer to the question as to whether or not it is lawful to do good to save life on the Sabbath. I said a while ago, Jesus will answer in two ways. First, Jesus answers by appealing to common sense and to the common practice regarding their daily mercy toward their animals. Go back to Matthew chapter 12 and we'll look at verse 11 first. Matthew 12, verse 11. This is the answer. Mark doesn't say how he answers. Simply that he says to the man, stretch forth his hand. Matthew gives us the answer to the question. Matthew chapter 12, verse 10. And he said unto them, he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's not, though the man is in the midst of the synagogue and though everyone there can hear his voice, he is directing his comments to those that ask the question. He said unto them, what man shall there be among you? that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? Common sense regarding a common mercy to a common animal. On another occasion in Luke chapter 13 and verse 15, he says... The scripture says, The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Common sense with regard to a common mercy to a common animal. Again, in Luke chapter 14 and verse 5, And he answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit, and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? It is your common practice to show common mercy to your common animals. Then follows the second point. 
Jesus answers by teaching that men who are made in the image of God are more important and more valuable than any animal. If common mercy is owed to an animal, how much more is it owed to one made in the image of God? If you take your donkey out and give him some food and water and someone comes to you hungry, how much more? I was sitting in my chair this morning drinking my coffee, having my devotions, thinking about my message, and I thought, how many of them in this room have seen a western where a horse falls and breaks his leg? Well, probably everyone in this room, right? The cowboy takes out his six-gun. You know what he's going to do, right? Sometimes in the old westerns, they didn't show it. You just hear the gun go off. He shoots him because his leg's broken. And there's nothing else to do. That animal will die a, a horrible death if you let him live. Let's put a horse with a broken leg up here. And let's put Brother Frank with a broken leg up here. Now let me pull out my six-gun. Is it an act of mercy to put Frank out of his misery? No! Why? Because he is much better than an animal. He has been created in the image of God. We do everything we can to save his life because we don't believe he's just another animal. We don't believe that man was just evolved from another animal and all he is is just a little bit higher than the highest animal. We don't believe that. We believe God created us and God made us distinct and different and God created us in the image of God and that sets us on a level that is higher than the animals. And we don't treat animals like humans and we don't treat humans like animals. That's the foundation of what's going on here. Jesus Christ says, you got animals you treat better than this man with a withered hand. Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither they reap, neither they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are not you much better than they? Matthew 6 and 26, Jesus said. Matthew 10 and verse 31, Fear ye not, you are more of more value than many sparrows. You are more value. You are much better. God sees something of His image in you, though marred by sin. That is why they should have had mercy upon that man. That's his answer. And then he says to the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. And there are two two truths that we can learn from this portion of the Word of God. They are this. First, The man whose hand was withered 
was able to stretch it forth because of one reason only. When Jesus Christ said, stretch it forth, the power of God went forth with those words and he was enabled to stretch it forth. How many days had he lived wanting to stretch his hand forth? Desiring to stretch his hand forth. Today I am determined by my free will to stretch forth my hand. And the day would end. And it wouldn't happen. But this day, Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. And it happened. Amen. What's the difference? No amount of innate ability was present in the man to stretch forth his hand. He had lived all the days of his life. No amount of desire could have made the hand whole. No amount of will could have made the hand whole. The man's hand was made whole for one reason only. God did something that day that only God can do. God did something for him. There is the truth that sinners are dead in sins. And they cannot save themselves. And God must do something for them that only God can do. But there is a second truth here. And that is this. The man was commanded to stretch forth his hand. He was obligated to obey the command of God. Now he could have reasoned all day about why he couldn't stretch forth his hand. He could have told Jesus Christ how many years he'd lived not being able to stretch forth his hand. He could have argued from the scriptures that I don't have the ability to do this. But Jesus Christ told him to stretch forth his hand and he was obligated to obey the command and though he might argue with God over his inability yet he did not argue with God he simply did it and God has commanded all men everywhere to repent and all men everywhere to believe the gospel of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and you cannot tell God you can't do it And you cannot reason from the scriptures that you're not part of those who can do it. God has commanded you to repent and believe what Jesus Christ has done on Calvary's cross to save sinners from their sins. He has died to pay for their sins and was buried and rose to justify them before God. And God now comes and says, sinner, repent and believe the gospel and I will save you. I will forgive you. That's what God has said. Every man who repents toward God and believes the gospel message shall be saved. Every man that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the scripture says. Don't argue with me about your impossibility, about your death in sin. About, it is a true doctrine. But nonetheless, this man was commanded to do something that... Physically speaking, he could not do, but he did it. You say, I can't put those two truths together. Good. Stop trying to reason yourself into heaven. Simply believe the scripture when it says repent and believe the gospel. The rest is in God's hands. And as I told one sinner recently... The secret things of God belong unto God. You cannot figure them out.
stop trying to figure them out. But what about election? What about this? I believe those things. But what about that? What about repent and believe like Jesus Christ said? What about that? What about taking the words of Jesus Christ to heart when he says, If you believe on me, you have everlasting life. What about that? Is that not truth coming out of the mouth of the Savior? The apostle said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that not truth coming out of the mouth of an apostle given by God himself? Oh, listen, dear one. Here we have a man with a withered hand. He is a picture of a sinner who is useless to do what he was created to do. And God made the difference. Never put the truth of God's word against themselves. They do not contradict. On the one hand, we have people who want to ignore the sovereignty of God and His works in the salvation of sinners and say simply, just believe. On the other hand, we have people that want to focus on the sovereignty of God in salvation and say, and never do you hear them say, repent and believe. It's just what God does. And those are two truths, and they're validated in the Scriptures. And they stand independent of each other. And you will never sound the depths of them. I've been a Christian since 1975, 40 years. I've been reading one book, 40 years, from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, over and over and over again. 40 years, more than 40 times in 40 years, I have read the Scriptures, I've read the Scriptures, I've studied and studied and studied, and I cannot sound the depths of it. There may be somebody here smarter than me, but I cannot, and I don't believe you will be able to either. He said to that man with a withered hand, stretch forth your hand, and he did it. He did it. And he says, do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And you can reason and argue and, and quote this side of the things and, and ignore that and, and, and spend your days until you die and go off into eternal judgment trying to reason with God. Or you can do what the scripture says. God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. Repent. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ will save you. And the Pharisees saw what he did. They saw what he did. He put that man in the middle of this group and he says, Stretch forth your hand. And he stretched forth his hand. And the Bible says the Pharisees went out stomping. That's a little sanctified imagination from me. I don't want to add to the scriptures. They went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Amazing. If you had just seen God save a sinner and they'd stood up before, look at me, God's made me whole. Would you go out stomping and trying to figure out a way to kill God? Or you'd be rejoicing, praise the Lord, look what God has done in our midst. You'd be thrilled to the soul. Look what God has done. But that's the difference between true Christianity and false religion. They were filled, Luke says, with madness. And that's not that anger. That is a 
It has an uncontrollable effect upon the mind. They were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Do you realize they joined hands with the Herodians? The Herodians were those Jews that, that supported Rome's rule over the Jewish nation. They joined hands with the very enemies of Israel. Well, let us look one more time in a summary way at the contrast set forth in these first six verses between true religion, undefiled, found in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the false religion of the Jews. Jesus Christ healed a man with a withered hand. He did good out of an act of mercy, out of a heart of love to improve this man's life. And he did it on the Sabbath. The day that was made for man. The religious Jews, the Pharisees and the Sadducees talked with their enemies, the Herodians, about killing and destroying the Son of God. Let us weigh these two religions in the balance. Let us see if the Jews' religion or the religion of Jesus Christ. Which one? Which one is observing the Sabbath? Or the Jews plotting the murder of a man, where they will not call him the son of man. Will the G- or the Jews plotting, plotting a murder of a man fulfilling the Sabbath? Which one loves God and loves his neighbor as himself? Were the Jews coming into the synagogue with the intent to find something to accuse and going out angry with their mind full of anger, plotting to kill one they considered a man? Were they observing a love for God and a love for their neighbor? Which one is doing the will of God? Which one is obeying the Scriptures? May we not be found in that which is false. May God, by His grace, give us more of that which is good and right about true Christianity in our hearts and in our souls. And teach us, as we have intent of learning of Christ as we go through this gospel, teach us how to walk as He walked. Let's pray, brethren.